0: You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am pleased to be joined today by my guest, Don Elliott Kindle. Dawn is a holistic psychotherapist, certified internal family system practitioner, and a coach for the soul. How are you doing today, Don?
1: Really good. Glad to be here.
0: I am so glad to have you. Uh, I wanted to have you on the show because I know that you specialize in food addiction. And we've been talking a lot about this on the Recovered Life show. And I wanted to kind of dive into the whole topic of what is behind food addiction? It's a little mysterious for people. They don't quite understand it. And you being an expert in this and working with people and having your own personal journey, I thought we'd dive into this today. Now, Dawn, you have you had your own uh, recovery path with food addiction, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, with anorexia and bulimia.
0: So what was what was that like? And how did you identify that you had issues with food?
1: Yeah. Um, well, my my disordered eating process started at 14, and I it was a subtle process going into uh, high school, playing sports, and I was active all the time. I started dropping weight just because of playing sports, and started getting a lot of attention. Um, so that right there started meeting some sort of need that I had inside unconscious. Um, the attention felt good and to some parts of me really good. (laughs) So, um, I know that was part of the initial draw and then I just stopped eating so much and being active, not eating, I was losing weight. Um, I was never overweight too much, but just junior high, middle school bodies changing and, um, And felt kind of awkward as a middle schooler. And so coming into those more, I think, formative years and then starting to uh, lose some weight, get attention, it it, it spawned something inside that made me feel like I need to be thin in order to be okay, in order to be light. Um, I got my first attention from a boy. That felt good. So I lumped all these beliefs together in that moment with the level of awareness that I had at that time. Hmm.
0: So, so you really, the first thing was actually feelings before it was really even food, right? So, cause what you're talking about, like you didn't even mention food at all. So I'm assuming feelings has a huge part of this, like what yeah. you feel about yourself, what yeah. you feel. So what were some of those feelings that you had? Because I think a lot of people would say, well, you know what? being a teenager, that's an awkward time. Obviously anyone who's known teenagers, right? We know that there's a lot of feelings that go along with it. What, what's different? What was different about that, that linked this to food?
1: Well, I I'm going to preference that by saying it was completely unconscious. Like what I felt inside was minimal. I, I didn't feel great about myself. I already had some insecure feelings. I felt different than my friend's more so like I was on the outside of life looking in. Um, so if I think back to what I would have been feeling, I I know it had to do with belonging and acceptance and uh, feeling liked, valued, and so forth, which was really contrasting to what was happening inside of me. Um, like I said, just not conscious at the time. So insecure, Um some pretty big self-esteem issues at that age. I didn't know at that time how vastly disconnected I already was inside. Um, if you would have asked me back in the day, "What are you feeling?" I would have said, "Fine, my life is perfect. I'm good. I'm fine." And yet, internally, it was like a different story going on. And and then, especially as I developed through high school and into early college, I looked all put together. I wasn't sports and I was a leader. I was religious. I had all these like societal looking things that looked great. And that was giving me a lot of positive feedback But inside I was horrifically alone, feeling alone and lonely and guilt ridden and shame ridden. But we didn't talk about feelings and problems and needs. That was some of the culture I was in both in my Circles of education and church and family needs, feelings, problems we didn't talk about. And so I had disconnected from them internally to even tell you I was struggling with any kind of food related stuff.
0: You know, it's interesting, Dawn, because I think a lot of people feel that addiction is not for high achieving people. I think that it has kind of a stigma to it, even still, right, to this day. But Gosh. I found that a lot of people that are trapped in addiction or get into addiction, whether that's food, alcohol and drugs, sex addiction, actually tend to be, you know, the opposite. They, they tend to be very, very focused, very, very driven, and also very hard on themselves, Very, 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 Mm -hmm. like very, that, that self-criticism thing. Now, when did this turn into the actual disordered eating and food addiction? Like when did this start to happen? You have these feelings. Was there like a pivotal time, Don, when you look back and say, oh, this is when this really kind of started to manifest with food? Mm
1: -hmm. Probably somewhere between 15, 14 and 15, 16. Um, it started to get really intense. I was playing sports year round and cheerleading in high school, um, and living off of diet Cokes and snicker bars. I mean, it it was ridiculous the little food intake I was actually taking in, but it had this pseudo feeling of being powerful. Like I could, you know, not give in to hunger and and then my body was getting smaller, and there was something that felt powerful about that. and people, You know, there was a tension I was getting from it. So it was a twofold, threefold, fourfold thing. The bigger reality was it was distracting me from this internal hurt that I had already disconnected from. So it kept me distracted from anything that was really more substantive that I would have to deal with, which might mean my family stuff, relationship stuff going on at the time. I just avoided it all. And I think that's part of what disordered eating helps us do. Addictions help us do. We're not dealing with feelings, needs, boundaries, expression, conflict, trauma, pain, fill in the blank.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know you mentioned bulimia. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I know a lot of people hear terms like this bulimia, anorexia, uh, what what is that exactly, right? Because I want to dive into that a little bit because I I know people use these labels and I don't know if people with disordered eating automatic, automatically become that, right? Like right.
1: there's this whole
0: mystery with alcoholism. It's like when did wh- when did I leave being a social drinker to an alcoholic, right? No. That's very very blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how what was that journey like with with you? Where you ended up kind of with that right. label of bulimia.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Because I think you're right. And disordered eating is on a spectrum, right? You can get a batch of cookies out of the oven and eat three yummy cookies. And that's not an eating disorder, right? An eating disorder, like how I would look at anorexia and bulimia, anorexia is you're restricting food. I am, I might be hungry, but I'm not going to take food in. Eventually with anorexia, you actually stop feeling hunger. And, And so it's, it's like starvation. I'm not taking food in. Um, and and then we have all kinds of guidelines in the DSM to qualify that with bulimia. I'm taking food in, but I'm throwing it up. So, or I'm over-exercising. That can be another way of purging or taking laxatives. So, you know, people find their different ways to purge food um, or purge calories and, but it's it's the overconsumption and then the getting rid of that makes the bulimia the bulimia process.
0: Absolutely, you know th- this is this is really interesting too. And you know, you talked about these feelings that are going on simultaneously while all of these physical things are are happening. I think that there is a stigma that um, you know, and I and I would say that it's it's also gender based. That like, well maybe women diet, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll experiment with food and things. And that this is maybe is a little addictive and there's something going on there, but it's not that dangerous. It's not like drugs and alcohol, but that's not the case, right? Because yeah. these things that you're talking about are extremely deadly, have Absolutely. severe health consequences and, right. and, and can leave people just as broken as fentanyl <laughs> or alcohol or anything else.
1: Right. I actually- actually think it's one of the harder addictions to deal with because we need food to live. I can put you in rehab or ask you to go to rehab for alcohol, for drugs, for prescription pills. You don't have to learn how to live with it. You do have to learn how to live with food. So we don't get to take that away to get you to a more recovered place. It's having to deal with the thing you struggle with. And learn how to have a healthy relationship with it while you're learning how to connect to feelings, have a voice, learn how to be um, in relationship with people. So it's it's all convoluted together. And yes, the the health scares risk are high. You know, with anorexia, you're dealing with electrolyte loss, same with bulimia, you know, bone loss, heart and organ failure, heart and different organs just being affected by the lack of nutrition. And you don't realize that when you're in it, right? And and actually, the less you're feeding yourself, the more you're impacting the cognitive processing. So you can't even think straight. So when I've had clients in therapy over the years that are too low in their nutrition, we have to get them refed first because therapy doesn't even benefit them, right? They can't even process well to benefit from the therapy. And refeeding for anorexia and restrictive behaviors is actually one of the most dangerous times. And so that is really important to do under some medical care that can look for some of the heart issues and things that can come up in the refeeding process. And I always worked with a team. I always had a nutritionist that specialized in eating disorder, doctor, psychiatrist, and then me as therapist. And we collectively worked together for each person that I worked with when I was You know, really working
0: with eating disorders. You know, I think Don. What's so interesting about this is that you know, in the Recovered Life show, we talk about, and in the in the community, and in the group meetings that we have, we talk a lot about about uh, addiction and recovery. About how underlying the the underlying thing with any addiction is a thinking disorder. Right? There's there's something Mm -hmm. not totally right with the thinking. And even though you might get sober, even though you might, you know. not partake in the particular physical side of the addiction, you're left still with this thinking issue, right? That you have to, that maybe we don't think correctly about our relationship with things are not good. And the interesting thing is when you were talking, Don, is that a lot of discussion now is in, about nutrition and, and even alcoholism, you know, how people go to these 12 step meetings. And I know I was one of them who was ingesting large amounts of sugar, Mm
1: -hmm. large
0: amounts of, you know, carbs and things like that, and not being able to think clearly, Mm -hmm. right? Not being able Mm -hmm. to think clearly. Is is part of the recovery from food addiction, uh, the, you know, just kind of reworking, not only physically what you're putting into your body, uh, the amounts, but actually the types of different foods that you're putting in?
1: Yeah. I mean, I believe so. I, what I, what helped me tremendously and and what I've practiced with other people is learning how to listen to how your body feels. And, And so when I put a piece of fruit in my mouth versus processed candy of some kind, what do you notice five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours later that I believe food has so much potential to add to our life or take away from our life. This gets tricky when you're in more of the disordered eating process because it's sometimes hard to untangle what's healthy eating and what's listening to my body when I'm so far gone like I was you know, at first, I just needed the structure of three meals a day. And I needed to relearn and rewire in my brain, I could eat three meals a day and snacks and not get fat. Because I was convinced that was impossible for me, which is what kept me from any kind of normal eating process. So getting to listening to the foods that feel good, and that give my brain energy and give my body energy, that would be a little further down the road for me. But now it's something I'm incredibly passionate about because I think food is medicine, and I think we can add to our life force by what we're taking in with food and hydration and movement and sunlight and earth, or take away from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes to- that makes total sense. And I know your path uh, to recovery it was hard fought. I know food addiction took you to a place that wasn't great, right? You you right. had a lot of physical. Do you want to share that a little bit about your breakthrough, about, you know, kind of where it took you and kind of that epiphany moment when you decided that, hey, you know what, I need some help with this?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, So I'm a sophomore in college and I am selected to be an RA the next year. And I'm feeling the weight of this responsibility. I'm supposed to be a leader on this hall. People are looking at me like I have all my stuff together. And yet inside I'm dying. At that point. I'm probably taking in less than 500 calories a day and throwing everything up that I took in. So the first rub was that I felt like a hypocrite and I hated how that felt, that incongruent at my outside and my inside were so far apart. Um, And then there was the other reality. I remember a bunch of kids coming down from college to Daytona uh, because I live in Florida for spring break and they all went to the beach And I was so terrified to be in a swimsuit with my friends that I didn't go. So I didn't even participate in spring break. I stayed at home and I cried because I just felt like I'm going to be rejected if they see me in a swimsuit. It was such distorted thinking. And so what could feel like very shallow thinking, but it was really around not feeling accepted, not feeling loved, not feeling like you could be yourself and be okay. And, and so I hid and I lied and I practiced the eating disorder the whole week. And I felt so alone, so, uh, hypocritical, so inauthentic. And just, I remember feeling that week, this is not how I want to live. Like I want to be a normal 20 year old and live life. And I'm watching life go by and not participating in it. And I don't even know how to participate in it. I knew how to be a leader. I knew how to be a helper. I knew how to tell you religious stuff, but I just didn't know how to be a person. And so I came back to college. I checked out the college counseling department, started seeing someone there. She was a wonderful, compassionate container to be curious with me. She said, you know, I'll never forget this. You look like you have no problems. You just look perfectly put together. And I would never guess all this is going on inside you. And I only told her about half of it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> able to be completely truthful. And, um, and, but then she said after a couple of weeks, I'm concerned, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks, isn't going to be enough support for the level of where your eating disorder is at and rec- recommended me to a residential facility. And that freaked me out. Um, I hadn't told anybody I was struggling. So I couldn't imagine going from here to somehow now I'm going to be in a treatment facility.
0: Nobody knows
1: what are people going to think? I'm not supposed to have problems. I mean, so it was just a Royal mess inside trying to figure all that out. So I just kind of did nothing for six months. And then I was driving home from work one night. I was a waitress at that point in time in college and It just felt like I heard this whisper say to me, you're going to die if you don't get help. And that landed. I'm like, I could see that. I was throwing up at least 10 times a day at that point. You know, things were out of control and I couldn't stop it. Nobody knew. I felt so alone, even though I looked really social. And I didn't know how to get out of any of these cycles. So I went into the campus 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 counselor. And I said, I'll go. I'll go at the end of the semester. So I left school. I called my parents on the way to driving myself to this place in Virginia. And they said, I'm not going to be coming home for a little while. I'm checking myself into treatment for an eating disorder. And they said, why? You don't have a problem, (laughs) which was almost laughable, but yet predictable because that's how I was doing life. And that was, that was my very scary first big step next to seeing the college counselor in college.
0: You know, this is so to the point that you said, it's like so many times with people that suffer from addiction, there's stuff going on behind the scenes, what it looks like on the outside isn't necessarily what's going on the inside, Mm -hmm. which is a valuable lesson for, you know, anybody who is you know, interacting with somebody who has an addiction issue, right? <laughs> Don, when we get back, we're going to take this quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about your road to healing, what you did, what other people could do if they're listening to this and they're saying, wow, you know what? Don's story is my story. We're going to get into what you can do about it after this quick break. Are you tired of feeling controlled by disordered eating patterns? Now is the time to take action and break free from these harmful habits. Haven Joe Beck, a disordered eating coach, is here to help. Join Haven's weekly group coaching and peer support sessions every Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Share your experiences, learn from others, and gain the tools and strategies you need to overcome your disordered eating patterns. Don't wait any longer to take the first steps towards a happier, healthier life. Sign up now by visiting recoveredlife.us and clicking on Find My Group. Don't let disordered eating patterns control your life any longer. Join us now and start your journey to recovery. You're listening to the recovered life show. And we're back. I am here today with Don Elliott Kindle holistic psychotherapist. Dawn and I are talking about what is behind food addiction. She just told us her story, her battle with food addiction, everything that she went through, and a little bit about her recovery. Let's dive into that, Dawn. Let's talk about your recovery and your path back uh, to a healthy life, uh, free from that food addiction day to day what was that like for you? You know, you've on the outside, you have everything going on. You look like the perfect person, right? That everything is going on great. Even your parents are shocked. You end up in a treatment center, uh, for your food issues. What happened then?
1: It was, um, the scariest day. And I think one of the most courageous steps I took in my life, walking into that treatment facility, which was admitting failure to me, um, to parts of me. And, and then literally when I walked in the door that day, there was a, a person walking by. She goes, oh, you're Dawn Elliott. You're going to be my RA next year. And I know I turned 20 shades of red and I turned around to run out the door. And then my therapist was standing there. And I think, you know, God must have sent her as an angel because I would have been gone. I was horrified that someone could have known I was there. My life was was put together around keeping secrets and keeping problems and issues hidden. So now all of a sudden I felt exposed. I didn't know how to handle that exposure. Um, I'm I'm in a mixed group of thirty five people that are fairly high functioning in their lives, but they're just stuck in some area of their life. And there was multiple uh, issues represented in this particular facility, uh, treatment program I was in. So I'll just never forget sitting in that group for the first time. And everybody's kind of introducing themselves and sharing why they're there. And we've got issues of like codependency and depression. and, And I was their first eating disorder. I mean, this is 31 years ago. And, I don't even know if Ramuda and Renfrew were open, the two, you know, larger treatment facilities for eating disorder back in the day. Um, If they had, they had just opened and I didn't know about them. So I was kind of a newbie for this treatment facility. This was all brand new to me. And, you know, people start going around and sharing and there's so much compassion and so much acceptance. And I was terrified. Terrified, terrified to talk, terrified to share. Um, I really just wanted to be invisible and kind of climb underneath a chair, (laughs) crawl underneath a chair. And um, that was okay. They let me kind of be quiet and just watch for a few days. And the therapist, the group therapist, wanted me to start talking and sharing a little bit about myself. And once again, I'm 20 shades of red. I feel nothing but embarrassment, humiliation, fear you know, and I start to, my name is Dawn and I have an eating disorder. And he's like, okay, can you talk louder? And can you say what specific eating disorder? And I thought I was going to die. I just thought I was going to die. And, but the biggest gift that that gave me is I was met with all of this compassion. I looked in people's eyes because they had me look around and it was so much care, so much compassion, so much acceptance. And, That was the moment something started to shift. It's almost like all that shame and all that fear started to lose some power. I still didn't know what was going to happen. I I still felt like a deer in headlights, really. But I remember for the first time, especially after growing up in the church, wow, this feels like church, what church should be like. And um, that experience never left me, how I felt, how authentic it was, how caring and accepting everybody was, and that we were all genuinely just wanting to figure it out together. There was no pretense. There was no judgment. And it was in that moment without having all the words that I have now, that it was like, okay, I still don't know what I'm doing here, but I think it's okay that I'm here. And I just, something softened and allowed me to sink into that moment.
0: You know, you know, John, it's it's interesting. I notice with recovery and people that are coaches and therapists, the best ones typically are the people who have had huge adversity. And they use that to help other people. I, and that's obviously your case, right? Mm-hmm. So you go from there on your recovery journey, obviously have healing. How did you get into to be a psychotherapist? Because that's kind of you know that's kind of an interesting jump because not everybody wants to deal with their adversity day to day, right? Mm-hmm. Like to relive that day to day.
1: Well, you know, I was in college at the time and I was struggling to know what do I do. I had tried every major on. It took five years to do a four year process because I didn't know. But what I kept coming back to when I would take psychology classes, what it felt like as as a natural fit. Um, so then after treatment, I came back into my sophomore junior year, and I took a couple of classes and I just knew this is what I'm meant to do. Like this is so natural for me. And now I've just had this experience of you know interrupting this uh cycle with food and behaviors. And literally, I came out of treatment, and I think a lot of people tend to, to do this initially, like, oh my gosh everybody should go to residential. I want to help everybody that has any kind of problems. And, you know, (laughs) that, that fueled me for a while. Um, until I, I had to get into more of my own complexities and layers of healing. And then I'm like, I don't actually think I want to specialize in that. Um, but I still ended up doing that for the first 15, 16 years of my practice. And, um, you know, it, it was that, like I had started to go through it. I was a few miles ahead of where people were at coming in. And once once I got a taste of recovery and growing and evolution, I, I was like uh, white on rice to healing and growing and becoming. Like I wasn't going to stop. So I became passionate about everything I could learn about you know human development child development what happens when we're born and our attachment issues and all these layers that get us to addiction and i was just peeling back the onion peeling back the onion like i was on a new path a new process and and that's what's really probably impassioned me for the work that i get to do is i know there's hope i know healing can happen i know people can be free from addictive behaviors and patterns or um, relational fallout or childhood trauma, like I had walked it out and knew it could be possible. And so that just kept stoking the fire, so to speak, and making me uh, more hungry and more motivated for how, how can I give back? How can I share where I've been to help somebody else that might be in a similar place? And probably the number one thing that most of my clients do tell me is, I just love that you get it. And I'm like, I, I, I understand that because I've had those people too. And when you know somebody's walked that mile and made it to the next mile, it does. It breathes hope into the system like, okay, I can do this. Even though it might be brutally hard, I can do this.
0: So Don, what do you think after all of your personal experience and then working with others, what do you really think is behind food addiction? If, if, if you had to, if you had to can kind of consolidate it all down, what do you yeah. think is really going on?
1: Disconnection. I think ultimately at the root of food addiction and and I would say general eating, um, not eating disorders, but addictions in general is disconnection. I I love Gabor Maté's definition of trauma when we have to leave our authentic self for someone else to be okay that's trauma and in essence that's what we're doing over time some of us when we come right out of the womb we're babies and we're not being responded to right so a baby will shut down sometimes we call that oh they're such a good baby i'm like no that baby's in freeze that baby's in collapse or nervous system shutdown right Baby knows they're not going to get their needs attended to, but someone will stick a bottle in their mouth and they'll feel better when they cry. They won't hold them, they won't give them emotional attunement and warmth and care, but feed them food. Right? So there's a lot of messages coming into a little person. It doesn't have to be a baby, it can be throughout the years. But at the root, I see a ton of disconnection. I know that's what was happening in me, you know, for the first. I don't even know how many weeks people would ask, well, you know, what was your childhood like and your family like? And what do you feel? I didn't know. My family was perfect. I don't know. I'm crazy that I do this. And and I'm sitting here right now. Like I really genuinely had no clue that took some years of peeling back some layers and getting more understanding about things that helped me connect to, oh, my gosh, a long, long time ago. I had disconnected from authentic me, right? Authentic me who had needs and feelings and spontaneous this and that didn't seem to be okay in my family, not because they were bad parents, but they were emotionally cut off from themselves. So they couldn't give me what they didn't have, right? And I think that's how we perpetuate pain. We, we pass on pain when we don't realize we're not connected, not in alignment to then be healthy containers and mirrors for our children and so forth. And so- That's so
0: great. I do. I believe it is disconnection. It's so It's so interesting because the more and more that I do the Recovered Life Show, the more that I'm involved in this, you know, this with, with connecting with people, that feeling of disconnection, that feeling of not being able to kind of fit even though on the outside, it might look like you fit perfectly seems to be prevalent in all different types of addictions, right? Mm -hmm. All different types of addictions. Mm -hmm. So I find that's very interesting that we just come back to this, this feeling of disconnection, not being able to kind of, you know, fit this feeling of not fitting. Mm Don, I'm sure there's people that are listening to this that are saying, you know what, wow, my Experience with food is very similar to Dawn's, and they maybe feel trapped, scared. They don't really want to, you know, they don't really know what action to take. What do people do? I mean, I know you're a professional, and everybody has their own individual diagnosis and needs to go to their own doctor and all of that, right? But with that being said, what what actions can people take in, in, in order to start the path to recovery if they're identifying that, hey, I might have a food addiction
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tell somebody it's the scariest thing in the world to break the silence when you might have programming or messages or parts inside saying you're not supposed to speak, you're not supposed to feel, you're not supposed to need, you're not supposed to struggle. Whatever the belief system and parts that might have those thoughts are it it is stepping out. amidst that and saying, I need help, I'm stuck. And sometimes just starting with I'm stuck. And it could be you tell a friend, you tell, you know, uh, somebody, a doctor, somebody that might be able to give some guidance. I mean, we have the internet now, and the ability to Google, which is, you know, a plethora of information out there. But tell somebody. Um, It's scary, at first, but starting down the path of being able to express that you have a problem and start to get help for it. it, It's a game changer. Like I look at, I was just writing today at 20. I took that first step and and put myself in treatment. It probably saved me a lifetime doing that initial step. Well, my first step was the college counselor and I had to ease into the treatment idea, but that, process within a year probably saved me 20 years or 30 years of my life and let alone like my physical life as well and being willing to ask for help and let yourself go through the process it's scary at first it can feel overwhelming at first but there's so much available especially now for people wanting recovery and help there's tons of online information, tons of recovery groups, and you guys are doing all kinds of cool things, it sounds like. And, you know, being able to get some of those resources and support around you, again, we're taking steps towards reconnecting with ourself, with others, who have a belief in God or faith or higher power. I think it's all of those things, and it starts with one step one
0: step. Don, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has just been so informative and really I feel could save people's lives, right? Like your story and what you're doing is very inspirational. Guys, we're going to put links to how to get a hold of Don Elliott Kindle, how to find out more about her, about uh more about her practice in all of the show notes, so definitely check those out. Don, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Looking for more than just a 12-step program for your recovery journey? Discover Recovered Life, a dynamic and supportive community tailored for individuals just like you. We offer a unique, free peer support experience that embraces various paths to achieve your best recovered life, and all from the comfort of your own home. Become part of our free community and attend virtual meetings led by top recovery coaches and experienced addiction peer support specialists. Together, we discuss, share, and heal from a wide range of addictions, such as alcohol, drugs, codependency, disordered eating, and overcoming dysfunctional family dynamics. At Recovered Life, we leave behind the dogman drama, just focus on building our best recovered lives. Join our community today. Visit recoveredlife.us and sign up for free.